Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Cowboy boots, jeans, and a lawyer shirt. Mirror sunglasses. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. New theme Thursday edition of Ball Don't Lie. As my man Patrick plays songs uh, that's supposed to give us clues that lead us to the new theme for New Theme Thursday. And today, celebrating the uh, Texas Independence Day. So uh, all of the songs with Texas in the title celebrating the great state. You can always be a part of the show. Hit us up on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. My man Patrick, the Idealionaire, is at It's Patrick Davis in the Twitterverse. I'm at Rod Davis in the Twitterverse. And you can uh, cyberstalk my man Harge at Hardball Harge in the Twitterverse. We will talk about Texas's, uh, Texas men's basketball's big loss. It was a big one, too. Um, to the TCU Horn Frogs last night and also to Short Choice, uh, latest report from Horns 24-7 um, that he was, uh, and at least the uh, report says that he was given an opportunity to coach at the NFL level for one of the most respected coaches in the NFL and declined that opportunity to stay on the 40 acres. We'll talk about what that means. We'll also give you updates on the NFL Combine. Two Longhorns have already participated in the on-the-field testing. That's Kendrick Coburn and more Ojimo. We'll give you updates as to how, how they performed and we'll also keep you abreast of what's happening with DeMarvion Overshone. We're waiting to see what testing numbers come out from DeMarvion Overshone. I believe he's already measured, so we got his height and his weight. We'll get into all that, the wingspan, but we haven't seen him test just yet, so we'll get into all that. But right now, on-field testing being done from the defensive linemen and the linebackers. Uh, we'll talk some more combine in Rod's round the day. I'll talk about the main event of the NFL Combine. It is a made-for-TV event at this point and the biggest uh, premier event uh, in the made-for-TV extravaganza that is the NFL Combine is the 40-yard dash. So we'll talk about the history of it a little bit and talk about the greatest all-time performances at the uh, NFL Combine. You can win the NFL Combine a big Part of how you win the NFL Combine is the 40-yard dash. You also can lose the NFL Combine. Yeah, a lot of losers and a lot of winners. They need storylines at the Combine. They can't have a four-day television event, and some of they put even in prime time without having storylines and narratives. So they create storylines and narratives. They rank all the players, and then that means ultimately we need winners and we need losers. So you can lose a lot of value and lose a lot of draft stock, unfortunately, too, with this made-for-TV event for the NFL. So we'll get into that and more, but you can always be a part of the show. The Specs text line 512-337-3776. Let's start with Texas basketball because I threw this number out there yesterday, Patrick, and it, it hit right on the money that Texas was seven going into the game. Texas was 17 to 0 when allowing 74 points or fewer. Um, and they were five and seven when allowing more TCU on the other hand, 16 and one when scoring 75 points or more three and eight when they don't, they hit, they hit the number right on the head. <laughs> they end up being a 75, 73 game. So those numbers, 
uh, ended up being a lot more accurate, unfortunately, for Texas. And it all started in that first half. We've talked about some of the limitations of this Texas roster. We talked about some of the character flaws of this Texas team. One of those unfortunate character flaws is their slow, sluggish start we've seen. They've been able to battle back with tremendous fortitude in the second half of some of these games. Even get you know double-digit comeback wins for the Longhorns. Uh, but it came back to Hunnam again, once again, that sluggish, lethargic start. And I can't believe with everything on the line, a possible share of the Big 12 title, we haven't even gotten into tournament seeding, but that's also something that suffered after that loss to TCU. Um, with all that on the line, they didn't come out and play with a sense of urgency. Nope. Um, the sense of urgency came after they realized the deficit and the hole they dug themselves. But, man, why does it take that to get this team to play with intensity to start a game? That's something that, unfortunately, has has been an issue with them early in the season. And now, even in March, it's still an issue. Yeah, I mean, and this and I've talked about this before, but it's like I I don't know why the pregame warmups are the same way they're doing them. You did bring that up. I don't get why you're not trying to change things up when you go. Look, I know we're trying to be loose out there. I know we want to be, we don't want to mess things up too much. But at a certain point, when you go, hey man, there is no urgency. There is no thought when we start this game. We're a different basketball team. When we start the game, and it's not till we get punched in the face that we want to do anything. They don't rebound well. They don't. They don't really pass the ball well. They don't move without the basketball. No. They just don't do anything. And and part of this goes to, well, your your energy guys are coming off the bench. Christian Bishop, Brock, uh, Brock Cunningham, and Serge Barry Rice are all coming off the bench. So all of your energy guys are on the bench. And Dylan Mitchell is not going to be that guy. Uh, you know, Tyrese Hunter is not going to be that guy. So it really falls down to Dylan DeSue, Marcus Carr, and Timmy, Timmy Allen. Allen. And Marcus Carr and Timmy Allen like to hold the ball and think before they do anything. So that relies completely on Dylan DeSue being a guy to bring all the energy and get the entire starting lineup going. That is just not a formula. It has not worked going into these games. I get you're, you don't want to mess things up this late in the season, but unfortunately Dylan Mitchell has not progressed the way we wanted him to this season. I get, you know, and we can take a shot at Rodney Terry on that, but we can also say, look, he had to learn a different system halfway through the year uh, of offense, and we know he wasn't a overly skilled offensive player coming into it. So I think the the turmoil and the change of the uh, during the season definitely hampered his progression this year. Uh, he he needs someone that needs a little bit more structure in what he wants to do, and you know, you're the fourth guy, you're the youngest guy, you're playing with four with three seniors. And a sophomore who was Big 12 freshman of the year last year yeah. is who else is on the lineup. And you're walking in there and looking like it's, the, the role may be too big for you right now. Seems that way. And so I may go, hey, look, I get you like having a spark plug off the bench, but you've got three of them. Maybe take one of those guys. Maybe take a Christian Bishop. Maybe take a Brock Cunningham and just get someone on the court who's going to get out there and hustle from play one, who's going to fight for those rebounds and try and get the team a little bit more pumped up. I th- th- I get and like I get Jabari Rice is cl- the clear one, but like, I don't yeah. but I don't think you take out Tyrese Hunter. I think you take out Dylan Mitchell and I don't like starting three guards and but, Timmy Allen. Like that's just a really small lineup to start the game. And with. you're already at a disadvantage when it comes to the Yeah, and it messes and, up your minutes yeah. of rotation unless you want to start playing Arterio Morris a lot more minutes. The rotation there becomes a lot harder to do. But I I I mean, I like Dylan Mitchell I think he's got a good future ahead of him, but his ability on offense 
has been a real sticking point at the beginning of these games because they just know we don't have to defend him. Like All we have to do is basically make sure we're keeping an eye on him if he tries to back cut to the basket. So if he's going to try and make a cut and dunk, but if he's not dunking, we're not worried we're about basically, him. That guy's a help defender. Yeah. Whoever is, whoever is defending And so him. it hurts on all the drives. It hurts when you're able to rotate off of things and not worry about it as much. So that's something I'd look into. I don't know. You know, you're really far into the season. Yeah, you're a little deep into it now. Uh, to do it now. Yeah. But something like that, just to try and shake it up and go, hey, man, we cannot keep starting this slow. So maybe put a Brock Cunningham and just go, hey, man, this is the fire of the team. This is the guy who will who wants to go and will die for any loose ball. Maybe he can get this team a little bit more amped up to start the game. Yeah, you got to do something because, like I said, we thought this would remedy itself in a with the leadership on the team, and like you, I, I think you know, early on people were saying, "Well, you can, you can, you know, you can change up the rotations a little bit, you can change up the starting lineup a little bit." But at this point now, we're in March. It is March officially. Um, yeah, I don't know if there is a solution really for them to throw out there at this time other than, hey, guys, we just got to emphasize faster, quicker starts, more energy, more intensity defensively, offensively. But And, and you know, they've had slow starts and have been able to recover, and they recovered in this game. They actually brought it back to within a single possession multiple times. They held TCU to 20 percent. Uh, actually, under twenty percent three point field uh, three point percentage in the second half, under thirty percent field goal percentage in the second half. So the second half they come out and they're dialed up, they're intense. Yeah. Uh, the the scheme is more crisp. You can tell the adjustments have been made. They gotta find a better way to start. Otherwise, in the Big Twelve tournament and ultimately in the Big Dance, man, they're gonna have an early exit somehow uh, because trying to battle back from that deficit is just a Herculean task that just you can tell it takes it out of them. By the time they get to clutch time, they got nothing left for the clutch time. And they really did. They were in it in clutch time. They were right there. They were within like three points right there in clutch time. And then TCU was able to, you know, make plays and pull away from Texas. And the first half of the game, the reason that it was probably one of the worst first half starts Texas had all year long, I don't think they won one definitive statistical category. No. They lost in the first half. They lost every every statistical category to TCU in the first half. I'm talking about field goal percentage, three-point percentage, rebounding, defense, offense, second-chance points, bench points, fast-break points, steals. I mean, everything. Doesn't matter. And to me, that just shows a lack of focus, but also a lack of intensity. I'm not going to say a lack of effort. I'm sure the guys were trying. But lack of intensity and the focus early on. And with everything on the line, and this is the first time you've lost back-to-back games all year long, so that's also a disturbing, troubling trend at this point in the season. Yeah, no, I mean, and this is the problem is you you have to be able to figure out ways to manufacture offense when you're not moving the ball. And I think all of the points of just not having that urgency in the first half to not get down 12 points, to not get down to where you're fighting back. And there was a lot. We can talk about that three-point percentage for TCU in the first half, that there were some big threes. Jabari Rice hit a big three, and they went back down the court and answered. And Marcus Carr hits a big three, and they walk back down the court and answer. And both those, if you can play better defense and you can, you know, and I get you, your defense was set up that they don't hit threes, let them take them. That's the de- way the defense set up. Not the best way to, you know, you still want to put a hand up. And I think, like, th- that's part of the, the slow start, part of when this team gets complacent and goes, oh, we'll just let them out. It's like, still run out on him. 
still mm-hmm. go make the effort. Finish I get the play. I get you you have to at least show pressure. Yeah. You don't want to go out there and foul him, but you at least want to go out there and show him pressure. And they weren't even doing that at points during that game. I it just I don't know how you don't get up for that game. Exactly. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get I don't know one? how you go, oh <laughs> we can't win the the Big Twelve title out right now because can't Kansas won. Guess we shouldn't try to win it. Because now you're, I mean, you're having good potential to be a four seed in the tournament now. It could. You went from, you could have been the one seed to the four seed. That is a large drop because you just didn't want to show energy. Now, the positive of it is they played a really bad game. They for, bad first half. Well, bad first half. They didn't play a great second half either. They had a lot it, of it down was, parts in that second half. It was better, well. though, but you're right. They played a better second yeah. half, and there, there was points where they showed up in it. They probably played... 25, 30 minutes like was bad, and 10 minutes was good. <laughs> okay. I don't disagree and with that. And <laughs> they were still in the game at the end. Like, they were still in this game. So when you look at it and say, well, as bad as they played, they're still – like, this team has all the talent and the ability. You have to clean up the problems, and you have to take an urgency. And the real thing that's worrying about this is that lackadaisical starts is how you lose in tournament play. Because you say – Ah, uh, we're we're projected to go here, so I guess we'll just wait till we get to that game and then try and prove them wrong. Instead of being like, oh no, everyone's trying to beat us, and they don't seem to have that urgency. Like when you play at Texas and the Moody and everyone's cheering for you, that's great. You have to realize everyone hates you more than the Moody is loud in Texas. People hate Texas. You need to understand that you're playing everybody's best game. How many times season we go? Well, that was the best shooting performance that team's had in a year. And they're veter- and they're a veteran team. Yeah, that's the thing. About it. It, it it the I can no, I'm not. I can't. I can't really understand the slow start. But if they were an inexperienced young team, I think it would be more excusable. It'd be more of an excuse. Uh, they're a young team, man. They just haven't had the experience. Man, this is an experienced team. They've been there. They know what's at stake. That was supposed to be one of the strengths heading into uh, March Madness. Like, yeah. oh no, this team, this team is experienced. They've had, they got tournament experience. They know what it's all about. They know what's at stake. They're not going to let the pressure overwhelm them. We're not really been. A, we're not seeing the benefits of that experience right now. No, we're not at all. And I mean, part of it too is I think you know there's a time and a place to be cool, calm, and collected, and it's not once the game starts. <laughs> and they too often seem to be still trying to be cool, calm, and collected when the game when they t- when they snap up and go, all right, let's no mistakes, guys, no turnovers, and no turnovers. They immediately lead to turnovers because you're not reacting and doing things instinctually. You have to you have to trust what you can do because what do we see when this team playing its best? They're just going and they're fast. They are. They're, they're real they fast. Swarm. They're yeah. real fast when they're when they're playing well. And when they're playing bad, they're real slow. And I don't know why they keep trying to start slow and and be smart about it. Like, no, just go. Because, like, you're getting decent shots and you're not hitting them. But you have to keep trying to get those decent shots. And, hey, man, if that three's not falling, get to the paint. Get to the paint. And if, if that if the paint's not falling and they're got, they got big guys up there, go get fouls. And that's another thing, too, that you had, what, 19, I believe, Texas. Was it 19 free throw attempts Texas had? I believe TCU made 18. I could be off about that. But I mean, it's really close there. And yeah. in the last game, Baylor actually made more free throws than Texas attempted. It shows you the lack of aggressive, uh, the lack of the aggression, I should say, by the Texas uh, players. Got to be more aggressive and try to get to the line, get in the paint, 
and they didn't really do that in the Baylor game, and we didn't do it enough in the TCU game either. Yeah, I mean, you have to. It's, it's and, and what if I told you that, man, that Mike Miles would score just one point? Yeah, no, they, and that's the thing. They did what they were supposed to do against Mike point. Miles. That a good game plan against Mike Miles. But that's the, the problem is you have that, and other guys get open for three, and you have to at least put an effort against them. And they didn't do that in the first half, and they paid the price for it. And when they corrected that and said, all right, look, guys, you're not even running out on them. Like, you're literally seeing a guy shoot a three. You realize how far away you are, and you turn at the basket, like for a rebound. You cannot do that. Yeah. Uh, Texter here says, <laughs> have y'all noticed that Texas has never had a real offense? It's just been whoever starting the point guard is dribble, 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 pass. Oh, no, that, shot clock goes out to shoot. Shot clock, I mean, goes, uh, shot clock is about to go out, shoot the ball. That's not entirely true, but <laughs> uh, there are plays where that happens more, but, yes, they do run plays. Um, like, you, you, can yeah. watch, you can watch sets they have, and they're basically sets of how you're reading and a guy's guarding you when you're trying to run through. They do run them, uh, but, they're, but the problem is you, it's a basketball game. You're going to have 45, 50 possessions, right? You're not going to have 45, 50 plays. Yeah. So you, you have – seven, eight plays that you may run during a game, and you just kind of run them over and over again. It depends on how their defense is set up. And then you go through, and it's a screen screen, and then a guy's supposed to pop out. But if that guy doesn't pop out... It's option football. Yeah. You keep running the same plays over and over again. It changes because of the way defense defends yeah. the play. And and if, yeah. and with basketball, if a guy doesn't get off a screen, well, yeah. then that play's kind of dead to a point, and now you got to go to the second part. And then, yeah, once you get under 15 seconds on a shot clock and nothing's been created, yes, you have to go into dribble, dribble, Iso dribble mode, more, yeah. and you have to do that. I, I get, and the person who said this is Spurs fan Aaron, so I understand the wanting a offense. Very few teams in basketball anywhere have what the Spurs have or the Golden State Warriors have an offense. Uh, well, yeah, you're talking about the best case scenario. Yes. I would love Kansas City's so I get, offense. I get because it says Spurs fan Aaron on the text line. And, <laughs> like, I get as a Spurs fan, I agree. I'd love to see that, but it's just not very common. Uh, we have remarked several times about how the um, the – ironic <laughs> um the ironic relationship between Texas basketball and Texas football, Texas men's basketball and Texas football, that Texas football's biggest issue was Sark having a remarkable opening script, which would give them uh, big leads that they could oftentimes, sometimes could not hold and Sark could not make the necessary adjustments in the second half and he would lose the the chess match within the game in the second half. Yet Rodney Terry is the antithesis of that, right? He's the bizarro Sark where his teams have really slow starts, really bad starts, and he makes great adjustments. And the second half, his team is able to at least make it a game or even come back and find a way to win the game. Yeah, and the texter here, I, I agree with him. Uh, he said, if you could mix the football teams, <laughs> mix the football team starts and the basketball teams close, you would have a perfect team. Yes, we know this. For some reason, we need Sark to advise Rodney Terry and Rodney Terry to advise Sark. Rodney Terry to advise him on adjustments and Sark to advise him on opening scripts and great starts to games. We might be on to something. Yeah, and then, I mean, if we can get somebody to get both of them to start off a game. To play an entire game? You mean both halves of a basketball game well, and four quarters of a football well, no, game? No, no, but I'm saying how many <laughs> first drives for Sark? Sark, you only had a good script, but his first drive was always a three and out pretty much. He would, but he, there's a feeling out process there too is, with Sark. But that's what yeah. this, that start, yeah. and then Texas, if we could come out with, with the urgency and score on a first possession. 
Both teams. I need both teams scoring on first <laughs> possessions. That would be good. Um, that would be good. All right, Texas basketball uh, loss, unfortunately, to TCU 75-73. Uh, we come back. We'll get into the NFL Combine. It is a made-for-TV extravaganza, and there are winners and losers of the NFL Combine. I'll explain what you have to do in order to win the NFL Combine, and we'll talk about some of the biggest winners in NFL Combine history. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie. I wonder if we're on the horn. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. I want to talk a little bit about the combine that's happening right now as we speak. The D-linemen and the linebackers right now, uh, they are performing, <laughs> are competing in the drills, the testing, on-field testing for the NFL. And yes, I do say performing because uh, it is a made-for-TV extravaganza. It's what the NFL has become. Sorry, the NFL combine has become. And with that being said, you can now officially almost like a true television um, competition reality show competition because the combine is basically the NFL's version of their reality show you can win the combine and there have been winners and losers all throughout the the short history of the combine and you know the biggest way to or the easiest way I should say to win the combine is to win the 40-yard dash that is the main marquee event of the NFL combine and the truth is more and more the and necessity of the 40-yard dash is, you know, uh, uh, it's to me, I think uh, as we get to more modern day technology, um, the, the necessity of it seems to be waning just a little bit. Now, the NFL scouts won't admit this and the NFL won't admit it either. But the truth is all these colleges, the major colleges and hell, some of the ones that are, are, even aren't major colleges, uh, but major colleges, they all have GPS tracking devices and body monitors on all of these players when they're practicing, when they're working out and in the games. They know how fast they're going. They know exactly how fast they're going in pads. I'm talking about down to the most exact and accurate millisecond. They know exactly how fast they are. And yet they put on these charades. <laughs> of this, this is how much the, the pinnacle of delusion is the, the NFL combine in the 40 yard dash. So think about it. I just told you they have body monitors to tell you exactly how fast players are running in games with pads on versus competition in real time. And yet, and at the combine, they also have electronic timing. They have digital timing at the combine. It's, it's laser timing there too. And yet you will still have coaches with stopwatches and scouts with stopwatches at the combine. Why? I don't know. I have no idea. Like, they got, the laser time will be better than your hand time, and they'll still want to hand time it. That's the NFL in a nutshell. It's like, why are you going to hand time it when the digital laser timing is way more accurate than your hand time? Nah, I like my hand time. Okay. 
Usually, I think the digital laser time is is always slower than the hand time. The hand time is always a little faster than the digital time. They don't care. They want to do it their way. That's the point of it. But it is the, the the main event of the NFL Combine. They know that. And it's something about speed. No matter if it's in a car or in a plane or on foot, it sells. Speed is like sex. Speed is like sex and violence. It sells. We love it. It's something primal within us. We'll, we love to watch something fast, go up against something else fast, and race. We do. We can't, we can't, describe, we can't describe why we like violence, as, but we do. Can't describe? Well, we can tell you why we like sex but there are certain things that are primal within us and speed is one of them and it's very relatable everybody's everybody at one point in their life probably as a child has raced another human being and tried to say i'm faster than you and tried to see how fast you were as a human being so it's always a fascination and a fixation as well with us so it's an nfl knows this they're like oh you know what an nfl used to sell sex and violence now they don't sell it anymore because they can't you know have DVDs and you know videos they give out to the public are the most violent hits in the NFL because we don't celebrate those that violent nature anymore. So the NFL used to sell sex and violence, you know, cheerleaders on the sideline and the most violent hits in the NFL. They don't sell that anymore because now they sell fantasy football, they sell points, they sell quarterbacks, they sell speed. So that's what the NFL Combine is really about, and its main selling point is the speed element of the forty-yard dash. So you're just gonna start looking at the 40-yard dash throughout the years and the fastest players in the 40-yard dash. And if it does indeed translate to the NFL, the truth is probably the first 10 to 20 yards of the 40-yard dash are the most important part of the 40. And after that, the rest of it is pretty meaningless. And if you're going to win the, you know, win the 40-yard dash, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the combine by winning the 40-yard dash. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up being a great football player. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But first, I want to talk about some of the players who've actually won the combine before. Remember last year, and you can be in any position. You can win the combine at any position. D-line, linebacker, running back, doesn't matter. Saquon Barkley did. I think Bijan wants to win the combine. I think Bijan, like a lot of these young players, they grew up watching the combine. I never grew up watching the combine. The first time the combine was on TV was in 2004. I got drafted in 03. I never grew up watching the combine. These young guys grew up watching the combine. They grew up watching guys win the combine. Ranked top three in every skill and every different test. That means something. Right? You get to now at a made for TV event, you get to win the combine of 2020 or 2021. I never thought about it, but I guess if I grew up watching it, I'd probably want to win the damn combine too. That's why I think Bijan wants to go too. Not only wants to show everybody and show me and compete and he loves the game, but he wants to win the damn thing. There's no prize though, really. <laughs> I ain't gonna increase your draft stock, but there's no like, literal prize. Remember Jordan Davis won it last year. 40 yard, not yeah, yeah. Jordan Davis won it last year. It was or two years ago. He had a 40 yard dash of 47840 at 341 pounds. He had a 47840 at 341 pounds. He, that was the guy that won the the combine. Uh, remember, and also remember, you can. It, it, he actually at 341 pounds. They they have like I said, they have monitors on these guys, so they know how fast they're running at the actual combine too. They had him clocked at basically reaching a max speed <laughs> during his 40 yard dash of 20.4 miles per hour at 341 pounds. That that doesn't even seem like that's real. That dude was running 20 miles per hour at 341 pounds. 
I see why the Eagles decided, you know, we're pulling the trigger on that guy. We're drafting that dude. Um, remember John Ross, famous? He has, a, he has the most, um, he has the fastest 40-yard dash time in the history of the combine at 4-2-2. So you could argue he won the, 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 the combine that year in 2017, I believe it was. And now you can lose it. Yeah, you can lose the combine too. 1985, before it became a a a combine that was done in Indianapolis and the NFL decided to centralize all the different combines and workouts, Jerry Rice famously lost the combine. Ran a 4-6-8 in a crosswind and everybody went, this is the dude y'all think going to be a first-round wide receiver? I don't think so. Now, the rest is history because we know the 40 does not make the ball player. <laughs> we know Jerry Rice is the prime example of that. Um, 1989, Deion Sanders famously ran a 4-2-5 40-yard dash and exited the combine, left everybody with their jaws on the floor and with a limo waiting outside. <laughs> and just left. Ran the 4-2-5, left, and went into the, the limo. It was like, yeah, y'all can, y'all can catch me later on that. What about the interviews, Deion? Now nah, I'm good. I think y'all saw what y'all need to see. Uh, Mike Mamula, 1995, one of the first who prepared specifically for the combine, was not a great football player, didn't really care about that. He just wanted to win the combine, and he did. He did. He ran a 4-5-7 um, uh, in the 40-yard dash. Very impressive for a defensive end at the time. Uh, also, Vernon Davis, I remember this in 2006, 250 pounds, ran a 4-3-8 at tight end, had a 42-inch vertical, and his draft stock just skyrocketed. Um, and no notable tight end has even come close to beating that time since, I don't believe. Um, I think that Evan Ingram ran a 4-4-2 at tight end, but Vernon Davis at tight end, that was some freakish stuff. The next year, Calvin Johnson, Ooh, 4-3-5 at 6-3-2-40. I mean, that's just, that's just freakish athleticism on a different scale. He's an alien. He's an avatar. Uh, also, Chris Johnson ran a 4-2-4. Um, at the running back position in 2008 and a 35-inch vertical, 10-foot, 10 10-inch 10 broad jump. That won the combine that year. J.J. Watt, 2011, he won that damn thing. He ran a 4-8-4, 37-inch vertical, 10-foot broad jump, 34, uh, 34 reps on the bench press at 6'5", damn near 300 pounds. That was impressive. And turns out it all translated for J.J., now, and John Ross, like I said, he, he had famously has the fastest 40 at 4.22, but it's not considered the fastest 40 in the history of the Combine. I know, it's strange, right? The, the fastest 40 that has been documented at the Combine they have on record is 4.22, but it is not known as the fastest 40 at the Combine. Remember, I told you the Combine existed before the 1987 one. They were running at four or five years of a Combine before that. So the 1986 combine, prior to the 1987 centralized combine, all right, Bo Jackson reportedly ran a hand-timed full one-two 40-yard dash by some scouts. Landry Football had him clocked at a full one-nine. Here's Bo Jackson. This is not his combine story. But it is a story for Bo Jackson himself talking about how fast he ran in front of scouts. And this is on ESPN, so he didn't give a damn. He wanted people to try to call him out about it. Nobody's called out Bo about it. This is Bo Jackson talking about how fast he is. Is it true you ran a 4-1-2? Do you believe it? 4-1-3. 4-1-3. Oh, you're one 
A little bit slower than I thought. Let me make this mark yes. here. <laughs> Just a microsecond slower than that. But uh, actually, I was on my way to track practice. Mm -hmm. And they had to come by there. There had to be 20 to 30 guys there. And we were in inside running. And uh, the coach said, hey, Bo, um, we got a bunch of scouts here from all over the country. And we got a little come by here, the timing guys for the 40. Why don't you come in and run a 40 for them? Uh, do I have to? <laughs> because I know I'm, you want me to come and run now, and I got to go run at track practice. Because right. I practice with Harvey Glantz, who is a 76 Olympic gold medal winner from Auburn. So I, so, and I'm thinking about, I got to chase this little cat all day <laughs> and uh, come in and run a 40. So I did. And I ran my first 40. And about five yards from the finish line, I kind of like let up and just cruised through. And I ran a 4-3. Mm. And I got down there. And so my coach, as I'm walking back, my coach is walking toward me. He said, hey, why don't you run the damn 40? Give these people what they want so they can leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> 40. <laughs> so I said, all right. I, so I said, you got to open the back door because they only had about 10 to 15 yards of space for, for you to stop once you cross the line. I said, you got to open the back door because I can't stop in this distance if you want me to do. So they raised the back door up, up open. <clears throat> and I told the guy that I was with, I said, get my bag and just go on and start walking because I'm not going to stop and I'm not coming back. I'm just going <laughs> to keep on going. You're dropping the mic. Yeah. So <laughs> I got down and everything was done electronically. And um, I didn't find out till after practice, after track practice, what I had run. And some of the guys that had stopwatches, they had me at a three nine or four flat with stopwatches, but the electronic timer had got me at a four one three. <laughs> this dude was running four one. Four one in the forty. So I know the official combine has, you know, John Ross at four two two, but man, Bo Jackson before all that, the dude was uh, I mean, you running that damn fast, you might be able to run on water. That's legit. Daryl Green also, famously, who at I believe Daryl Green at 50, 40 years old or something like that ran a four four. He ran a four four at fifty. Sorry, he's fifty years old. He ran a four four. I didn't make that up. Go, it's on it's on YouTube. Go look it up. Crazy freaking speed. He also was clocked at a four one five famously. But of all the forties I've looked up, those are I believe the two fastest forties I've ever heard of in all the research I've done. Four one doesn't always make you a great player, but damn, that is unbelievable. I ran a four four six at the combine just for full disclosure. That was my official time was a four four six. I I'd been clocked at a four three eight four three nine before, but that was my official time at the uh, at the combine. And you know, the such a beautiful thing about football is and I've said this before. You know, football speed is real. Footballs, there's track speed. All these guys I'm mentioning, they got track speed. But football speed is real. There's a reason I watched Dre Bly cover Randy Moss. And Randy Moss famously ran, I mean, <laughs> you're talking about one of those fa fa fastest human. He ran a 4.25, fast, one of the fastest human beings on the planet. I would watch Dre Bly cover him on a post route. Because football speed is about what? It's an amalgamation of angles and trigonometry with kinesthetics and foot speed and, you know, spatial awareness. It's like a whole bunch of different variables and factors thrown into one. And that'll give you football speed. 
because you can diagnose angles or you can diagnose a play faster than other guys. So you know that uh, I have to, you know, you, you you can diagnose. Oh, the route combination it's going to be a double post, so you can undercut. All right, the high post because you saw based on the down and the distance and the formation of personnel package that they run this route. They have a tendency to run this route combination, this down and distance at this time, whatever it may be. So all of that contributes to football speed, which is not on display when you're just running the 40-yard dash. So that's why you got to watch the tape. But damn, speed. That's what the NFL is selling. Uh, you're going to see a ton of it. I, I don't think you'll see anybody break the record, but you're going to see some four twos. We'll go over this later on. There'll be a lot of guys who are going to be in a position to win the combine when the DBs and the wide receivers start running uh, their 40-yard dashes. And the wide receivers are probably where you'll get the fastest 40 this year. Usually your fastest you know, uh, 40s come from wide receivers. I'll give you a little stat, though. You know there's only one wide receiver who's sub-4-3 in NFL history as a Hall of Famer? Randy Moss. That's it. So we started thinking about, oh, man, wide receivers and speed. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's a little overrated at that position. The 25 fastest wide receivers in combined history, there's only one 1,000-yard receiver out of the top 25. Santana Moss. That's it. Speed, it's, it's a good data point. It's a good thing to have, but it's not an a, a end-all, be-all at the receiver position. The art of route running and creating separation, in my experience, that's what separates receivers from one another. You know, having speed at wide receivers is like being well-endowed. doesn't make you a great lover. It helps, but that doesn't necessarily make you a great lover to be well-endowed. There's a lot of other things that play a role in you being a great lover, just like there are a lot of other things that play a part in you being a great wide receiver. Both are a craft. Got to cultivate both. We come back. We'll get into Tashar Choice making the choice to stay here on the 40 Acres. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful Horn. I want to tell you about Texas Radio and the Big B. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a new theme Thursday, and based on these song selections my man Patrick plays for us, we're supposed to gather clues and hints that lead us to the new theme of the day. This one was pretty easy. It is uh, Texas Independence Day, so just songs with the great state of Texas in the title. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, so you can always be a part of New Theme Thursday. Hit us up on the Specs text line. It's the best place to do it, 512-337-3776. Uh, we'll get you some updates on the Longhorns and their performance at the NFL Combine. Uh, we'll do that on the other side. Also talk about DeMarvio and Overshone meeting with the Dallas Cowboys. Apparently they like him. Bijan Robinson odds where he'll be drafted in the NFL draft. And Mike McCarthy speaking out about Kellen Moore and Brandon Cooks potentially uh, up for trade with the Houston Texans and the Cowboys, maybe one of the teams interested in trading for one Brandon Cook. So we'll talk about that and more coming up next segment. Uh, but first, let's get into this story. I got it from Horns 24-7, so shout out to them doing a really good job. And it says that the short choice is set to return in 2023 for Texas. That's no big surprise because we hadn't heard anything uh, otherwise. But uh, my man uh, Chip Brown over at Horns 24-7 is reporting that the short choice was offered the L.A. Rams running backs uh, coaching job and turned it down to stay at Texas. Remember, Rashad Samples 
was uh, the running backs coach there. I believe he left to take a gig somewhere else, and now Sean uh, McVay is looking for a running backs coach. This is uh, really good news. Your last two running backs coaches on the 40 acres, Stan Drayton and <laughs> Deshard Choice, have been highly coveted to the point Stan Drayton ended up with a head coaching job. And not only that, both of these guys have been killing it on the recruiting cr- recruiting trail at the running back position. So in the last four years, you've had the top running back in the country twice with two different running backs coaches. Stan Drayton recruited Bijan, top running back in the country, and Cedric Baxter, top running back in the country in the 2023 class. Um, he had been recruited by Tashore Choice, and he is already on campus. So, that those guys can just straight up recruit. I mean, they really can. And I believe right now you are in the running because the short choice is such a dynamic recruiter. You are in the running to be a finalist for uh, the recruitment of one Jarek uh, Jarek Gibson is his name. He is a Florida running back, and also right now he is ranked the number one running back in the country. So hey, man, keep stockpiling running backs. Remember, remember Sark says running back is the most underutilized position in the passing game. And he wants to, you know, use more running backs. And last year, you know, I'll throw it out there because nobody has been advocating for more moti back sets and two tailback sets than Rod B. Yours truly. This year, their most explosive and most effective personnel grouping was easily 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end. You averaged, you're talking about, if you, if you look at yards per play, you were at over eight yards per play out of 21 personnel. You were seven yards per play when you were in multi-back sets. Um, your explosive play rate, 21 personnel, 23%, over 23% and 21%, over 16% in any multi-back sets. You were just real yards per attempt, throwing the ball, 11 and a half yards per attempt out of 21 personnel. Any multi-back sets, you were over 10 yards per attempt. You were really good out of multi-back sets, and now you lost Rojo and Bijan, which were the reason you were so effective in those multi-back sets or those two-tailback sets. But now that you still have, you're still stockpiling talent at the running back position. Still got Jonathan Brooks there. You got Jaden Blue there. You got Killian Robinson. Now you got Cedric Baxter. You can bring in more top backs. No need to disregard the two-tailback sets or the 21 personnel package when they've been so effective for you the last couple of years. So Hope Sark keeps that around, and if he keeps recruiting running backs like this, um, no, you know, there's no reason to think he won't continue to use those packages, even though in the Alamo Bowl, Coach Steven reared his ugly head, and we did not see any multi-back sets, no two-tailback sets, no 21 personnel, and lack of creativity and a lack of imagination overall in the running game for Texas. So throwing it out there. All right, uh, we'll come back. We can talk more about that conversation. We'll also get into DeMarvio and Overshow meeting with the Cowboys, B. John Robinson, Oz, Mike McCarthy, speaking about Kellen Moore, all of that right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn.